Good morning, church. Man, that was some good worship, some good, I mean, we just got like an overload of like just all kinds of good, right? Can we give the Lord a clap offering today? You know, it's like my father-in-law says, he's from that good old, you know, the hills of Kentucky. And he's like, man, if that don't just get you fired up, then your wood is wet. And man, I think about that and like, man, I'm telling you, like, it's just a good day. It's a good day. And uh, we're just grateful that you're here. Man, hey, you know, that weather, it tried to keep us all away. But thankfully, we got technology. A lot of people are online. And then you're here. It's going to be good. And so we are excited. We're going to continue the series um, as we go through through the book of James. So just go ahead and get ready. James chapter two, verses 14 through 26. So if you have your Bibles or your your phones or whatever it is that you use, use your neighbors, whatever it is, get ready because we're gonna break down these verses verse by verse today and we're just gonna get it. I'm telling you, God's word today is just so good. It's just gonna be so pure. It's like gold today and I cannot wait. And, and you're going to hear, uh, whew, man, the Lord worked on me. I was convicted a lot um, uh, preparing for this. So, but we are just grateful that you are here. So there's a guy by the name of Charles Blundine, and that was kind of his stage name. That wasn't his real uh, given birth name. His real given birth name was like Jean-Francois Gravelet. I'm going to mess it up, but that's close enough. Anyhow, you get where I'm going. So he was this French tightrope walker, okay? And so he lived his life from 1824 to 1897. So we're going way back, old school. And so here's a picture of him, all right? And so what this guy did, it was really cool. He walked a tightrope over Niagara Falls. Yeah, some of you are impressed. Some of you are like, oh, I've done way better than that, but that's okay, all right? So what's interesting about this story, the way the story goes, and you can check it out, you can fact check it later, but the way the story goes is Charles has got a crowd, right? He's got a crowd of people, he's got their attention, which you would, right? If you're about to walk this tightrope over Niagara Falls, that's pretty intense for some of us. Some of you are way, you're like, no, that's not impressive at all, but whatever it is you do, you go, you go do your thing. So he's got this crowd and he's like, how many of you think that I can walk across this tightrope and how many of you believe and have faith? And the crowd was just like, we, we believe Charles. We, we got faith in you that you can walk across that tightrope. Now, some of you already know where you're going because the picture gave you a, a hint, right? And so then he asked and he says, how many of you believe and have faith that I can push this wheelbarrow? It looked a little different back then, right? But how many of you believe and have faith that I can push this wheelbarrow across there? The crowd, you know, it's just like, yeah, you can go, go, Charles. You got this, Charles. Man, this is awesome. You know, you've been a part of those crowds, right? Where everybody just follows the crowd and you just go in with it, right? Like, yeah, I believe. I got faith in you, brother. Let's do this. And then he was like, how many of you believe that I can not only take this wheelbarrow across the tightrope, but I can take it across with somebody in it? And they're like, Charles, we believe that you can put somebody in that. Man, you can take a wheelbarrow across that. You can put a person in that wheelbarrow and you can take it. We believe we have faith in you, Charles. And obviously some of you know this story, you know where I'm going with this, right? And then he asked the question, how many of you are willing to volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow and to go across the tightrope and do it, right? Come on now, church. Everybody had the faith. Everybody was like, we believe we got this. This is it. But as soon as it came to have some action, to get in the wheelbarrow and go, instead of just talking about it, believing it, we actually said, we're going to take action and get in it. Come on now, church. I'm getting ahead of my notes. I'm getting ahead of my notes now. Come on now. But listen, that was so interesting, right? He's like, we believe, we have faith that you can walk across. We have faith that you can take the wheelbarrow. We have faith that you can put the man in there, the woman in there. Just don't make it be me. Whoo. 
Come on now, 11 o'clock. So this is where we're going today. This is where we're going. This is what God's word's taking us today. And I want to take some time to explore this issue of faith today. We use this word around a lot. We use it in different ways. And so this made me wonder today. It made me wonder what people mean when they identify themselves as Christian or when we, what we'll examine today is, what does it mean when a person starts using the word faith? in their life. But listen to this. When one says they have faith in God, faith in Jesus, what are they really what are they really saying? Faith is important to God. He wants us to have it and he wants us to exercise it. So this is what God's word says in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just going to give you some scripture today. Don't, you don't have to move from James chapter two. Just listen to it if you want. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this word to trust, right? This word faith means to trust. The dictionary defines it this way. Belief in, devotion to, or trust in somebody or something, especially without logical proof. You know where we're going with this now, church, right? But biblically speaking, faith may be better defined as whole soul trust in God based on the sufficiency of the evidence. Now, this is what's interesting. In this passage today that we're going to study together, we're going to go all through every verse. It's going to be good, I'm telling you today. We will see three different things people mean when they use the word faith. And we're going to break this down. So we see these and we're going to talk and we're going to use this wheelbarrow story for each one. And I want you to get it, and I don't want you to miss it as we think about this story. So this is something that is important for us to look at and understand. The type of faith that we'll exhibit will determine our relationship with Jesus. There is also only one type that is pleasing to God. And so we're going to talk about these, and we're going to get through them. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 through 17. So if you want to read ahead, go ahead. We'll get there. But I want you to get this. I'm telling you, this is God's word is so pure and so awesome today. It's amazing. And we know it never comes back void. Listen to this in God's word, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Oh man, conviction now, right? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The first faith is this, and man, I'm telling you, this convicted me big time as I was preparing this. The first faith is this, verbal faith. James poses a question in verse 14, a simple question. If a person says they have faith, but does not demonstrate it, can that faith save them? We know that answer, right? Many of us know that. But the question is framed in such a way in the original text that's a negative answer is expected. But get this, it's like the person who would tell everyone that they would get into the wheelbarrow, but when given the chance would decline. Now hold on church, listen to this today. So James is not talking about a person who has no faith, just the person who has no works that exhibit their faith. Will this type of faith save you? So this type of faith is this. It's all talk and no walk. Come on now, church. Come on now, church. We see this a lot, right? So this is the faith that we see. James asked his readers if a verbal faith really does anything for them. The King James Version says this, what profits? Come on now, that's good. The NIV asks, what good is it? So listen to this today, church. The verbal faith is one in which we tell people we are safe, but, uh, safe, but our life doesn't reflect it. Man, 
If that doesn't get you, man, I'm telling you, this is convicting today. It says that we tell people we are saved. Man, we're good at talking. Man, we've been good at talking for a long time today, Christians. But what we miss out is, is that our life doesn't reflect it. Once again, we're not speaking of a person who is growing in their faith, but a person who makes no effort to grow. Now, I said a lot, and I'm sweating really bad already, but I want you to get this. So we're given an example of a person who has verbal faith in verses 15 and 16. Whew, man, I'm telling you, I was convicted. I was convicted. James speaks of one who is in need. He speaks of an opportunity to be able to do something that one's faith would lead them to do. But they miss it, right? They miss out on it. It's kind of like the verbal faith says this. I see that you're in need, but I'm not going to do anything about it. So good luck on your own. Years ago, we did something. This is a long time ago. The world's changed a lot since then. I'll never forget this. And it was a humbling experience. And I thought about this and I was convicted and it brought that back. When I was reading through the text and I thought about this and I was thinking about this and whatever the Lord's saying to you, I'm just telling you what he's saying to me. Years ago, me and a lead pastor, we were, we were pastoring in Central Florida at the time. This has been a long time ago now. And me and him were the only ones to know and we did something and we just, we were talking about a little bit of something like this. And, and, and to get to our church, you kind of had to go down like this long drive. And I remember at the time he came to me and he said, Nate, hey, I, I feel like the Lord's telling us to do something. I was like, okay. And there again, this is years ago. And I'm not saying any, recommend anyone doing this or nothing like that. But I, I, it was interesting because he said, Nate, I want you to dress up as if you were homeless. And I want you to sit at the end of the road. And I want to see how many of our people that are coming to church that say they have faith. See if they stop and do anything. Who? It was a humbling experience. And so I kind of made myself all up and I sat there and man, there was, so, there was obviously, there's so many people that stopped and I'm not saying you need to stop. That's between you and the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. It was a humbling experience seeing people exercise their faith. Many people stopped. They wanted to try to give me money or, or give me food. Some prayed with me. Then I'd have to tell them like, hey, I'm Pastor Nate. And they're like, man, Pastor Nate, you're crazy. <laughs> And I'm like, I know, I know, but I was just doing what I was told. The lead pastor told me to go out there and do it. So I just did it. You know, I was trying to keep my job, <laughs> but I thought about it. And, and, and I remember as I was reading this text and I was thinking about this and I thought about this and how convicted I was. And, and it was interesting. First John three seventeen says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We sing about it this morning. So if we're singing about it, we better be doing some action. We better be taking some steps of faith today. So when we look in verse 17, man, this is good, y'all. James answers the question posed in verse 14. Can a verbal faith faith save you? Will it profit you? Will it be a blessing to you? We know the answer is no. That type of faith, this type of faith, that is all talk and no walk, does nothing for us. James says that the faith by itself is dead, but action is the fruit of the living faith. We need to take some action today. Because what happens is, is this, right? We love to talk about it. We love to say about it. But what happens is we get so comfortable. Oh man, we got those nice padded seats for y'all. Some of us are even home watching online. We're thankful for technology. We're up in our lazy boy. We get comfortable. And we talk a lot. And the world hears our talk, but are they seeing our action? 
Are they seeing what God's saying? I need you to take a step of faith. You can say that I can get the wheelbarrow across, but are you willing to jump in the wheelbarrow and get across? That's what I want to see today. Man, I'm telling you, I was convicted, y'all. I was convicted so bad with this because we do good at talking. We do good at talking. And I want to see us and what God's telling us through this is see some action. So we're going to continue on. I got to keep going. Here we go. Verses 18 through 20. Listen to this today. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So the second one is this, intellectual faith. Going back to this opening illustration, and we're talking about the wheelbarrow, the intellectual faith would be like the person who knows that, that Blondine can take the wheelbarrow across the falls. But when asked to prove it, they would do nothing. In verse 18, James issues a challenge as he wraps up his first point and leads into the second point. He says, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by works. It's this intellectual faith. The point is this. How do you display your faith without the works? James is not saying that your works save you, but that your works are how you show you have the faith. And so listen to this. The way we display our faith is through what we do. The fertile illustrate this. James hits us with an example in verse 19. Don't miss it. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Why do I call this second faith intellectual faith? It's this. Verse 19, James speaks about it. How the folks believe that God is one. I believe he's playing off the Old Testament teaching in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. You can check that out later on another time. But James even says that it is good to believe. But what does that belief lead you to do? It's the intellectual faith. Sorry, y'all, I'm sweating so bad. My headset's like sliding off my head. Sorry, I apologize. I keep grabbing my ears, you know. So what's interesting is this. I thought this was interesting. This is from a commentary, and I got, I got a lot to say here, but I want you to get this. And I, I got two points from, from the Holman New Testament commentary. And it's, the first one is this. And man, I'm telling you, oh man, God convicted me of this. This is good. Listen to this. It'll be on the screen. The statement is intellectually true, but it doesn't proceed far enough. A person can believe in God to be a Christian, but not everyone who acknowledges the existence of God has made a commitment to Jesus Christ. So we got a lot of people that know about him, we got a lot of people, oh, I'm jumping ahead. So James tells us that even the demons believe they acknowledge the existence of God and at least that knowledge makes them shudder with fear. But listen to this, even though they possess this knowledge, they chose not to be obedient to Jesus. So there's one more quote from this. The behavior of demons demonstrated that someone could believe the right thing and still have an evil character. Oh, come on now. So listen, this verse 19 concerns intellectual faith, a faith that touches only the mind. Only the mind. So knowing a lot about Jesus and knowing Jesus are two different things. We got a lot of people that know about him. We got a lot of people that know about him, but do they really know Jesus? Do they really know who he is and what he offers? There are many people that have this type of faith. Would the intellectual faith save you? No, the intellectual faith will not save you. Let's finish this up today, but I want you to get this and not miss this. We got a lot of people that speak about Jesus in faith. We got a lot of people that can say, I know a lot about him, but I don't really know him. I know I'm saying a lot and I know, but I'm just like fired up about this. 
But I don't want you to miss this because this is what I see today and I'm guilty, y'all. I'm guilty, church. I'm guilty. And I'm the one up here and I can and say it and, and I'm not saying it for any of you. I'm only saying for me that I'm guilty about the verbal faith. I'm good at talking. I'm good at talking the game. I've been good about the intellectual faith. I've been good about knowing all the ins and outs and knowing about it, but really knowing Jesus and knowing that faith. I'm good at maybe saying, I believe, Lord. I believe that you can show me. I believe that you can take me. I believe it. But when you ask me to get in, when you ask me to take action, don't ask me to do that now. And so we're going to wrap this up here a little bit. In some ways, uh, I got a lot to say in a short amount of time. So get this in verses 21 through 26. We're going to wrap, wrap up these verses. Don't miss this, okay? Verses 21 through 26. This is good. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Action, right? You see that his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. When she received the messengers or sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now I want you to get this. I'm going to break this down. Here's the last one. The third one is this. Saving faith. Saving faith. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? The question in verse 20 sums it up. There must be more to our faith than words or head knowledge. We must add something to that mix. Saving faith not only includes intellectual and the voice, but it also includes the will, the will to carry out God's will in our our life, the will to be obedient to God's will for us. I think about this in Abraham in Romans chapter four, verses 16 through 22. You can read it on your own time, but I think about Abraham and he talks about this. James, he goes to some of the saints to illustrate this point. Abraham's trust or faith in God caused him to do what God told him to do throughout his life. We know Abraham had times of doubt and struggle. We know that and understand that. But even in this passage, it said it. But in Isaiah 41, it says this, Abraham is called a friend of God. I want to have so much faith and I want to practice so much faith that I can be called a friend of God like Abraham. I want to do so much action, no matter the struggle, no matter the hurt, no matter all the things that may come my way in life, no matter the doubt, I want to be like Abraham and say, I want to take my faith into action. I want to be the one to jump in the wheelbarrow and say, I'm going to show you that I got the faith. And so I think about Abraham and I think about this and the saving faith. And I think about obviously Hebrews chapter 11 and we think about the hall of faith, right? That's what we call this, the hall of faith. And Abraham is listed for the, his obedience. Now get this church. Now love this. And I know I've, I keep hammering the same point, but I want you to get this, right? Abraham is listed for his obedience to God. Not what he said or what he thought, man. Not what he said, not what he thought, but action, what he did. Y'all sleeping on me. Not because of what he said or what he thought. Man, I tell you what, we are good at giving a lot of opinions. 
Some of y'all got some opinions right now. You're like, man, Nate, I don't know about those shoes. Oh, yeah, these are my fancy shoes. I brought them out today. Some of y'all got some opinions, right? Some of you are like, Nate, you're sweating like crazy. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes. He was known for his obedience to God. He's in the hall of faith for his obedience to God. Not what he said or what he thought, the saving faith. In the same, in the same case, as we think about these verses, and Rahab has mentioned, right? So we have a person who was a harlot. She was a Canaanite woman, right? Who helped the Israelites defeat Jericho by hiding the Israelite spies. Now get this, what it says. Why did she do this? In Joshua 2.9, she explains she had heard about God and had been doing for them and she believed that God was with them. So she acted. Her faith caused her to act. So in the case of Abraham, his faith was teaming up with his works. Don't miss this. Therefore, perfecting his faith. That does not mean his faith was perfect, but that it was taking him down the right path. Action. Action. Don't miss it. In verse 24, James tells us that faith along with works makes us right in God's sight. James is not talking about our initial salvation, but our obedience that we exhibit because we are saved. A saving faith that understands that we have a part to play in our salvation. Philippians 2.12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Get this, faith will lead us to live a different life, not just know about it or talk about it. We gotta be like Abraham, we gotta give action. Galatians 2.20, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but don't miss it right now. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want people to see Christ in me. I want people to see that. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to know about it. I want people to see it, right? It's kind of like the old thing, you know, people said, you may be the only Bible that people read, right? You may be the only Jesus that people see. That's the faith that I want. I want to get in the wheelbarrow and have action. And man, I'm guilty and miss it. I miss it a lot. I miss it a lot. I've messed it up a lot. I've been able to speak it, I've been able to know it, and there's times that God's given me an opportunity and he's given me a chance to get in the wheelbarrow and get my butt in there and get rolling, right? And I've missed out. And many of us miss it every day, right? There's many of us that miss this opportunity. We miss a chance to live out our faith. I always think about this and I think about it because obviously, and I've shared this here before and I think about it, I think about, you know, I got a couple family members that are really close to me, obviously a couple of my brothers as well that are not following the Lord and I always think about it. What if they walked in this church? Would they see us living out our faith? Because they know I can talk to them about it. They know I know about it. But do they see it in my life that I'm living it and practicing it out? And I think about it every day as we walk and we encounter with so many people. Because it's hard, right? 
For whatever reason, for me, there's times in my life that I miss out. There's times in my life that I don't understand. Why do I miss out on the opportunity to act in my faith? And there's sometimes I just can tell you, and to be honest, for whatever reason, God has, whether it's a blessing or not, or not but he's given me the gift to always be in a hurry and be impatient. I, I wish I didn't have that gift. And I miss out on stuff. And there's times that I don't understand and I wish that people in the left lane would get over so I could go faster and get to more things God has for me. And then when I drive by and I look at them and just give them that Jesus kind of, you know, wave and stuff, you know what I'm talking about? I could get to more things, right? But I get so frustrated. Why do I get so frustrated with that? Why am I so impatient with that? I don't know. Lord, help me, please, right? You know what your thing is, right? Whatever it is. And you're like, what is it? And you get frustrated and you get impatient. You miss out on the things that God's trying to show you. And I'm thinking, man, maybe God wants me behind this slow person to slow me down, to get to somebody else, to something else. I don't know what it is. And at the same time, I'm just gripping that steering wheel like, Lord, help me, please. And I'm like, Lord, I can just, can I just talk to you today instead of living out my faith today? Can I just talk to you, right? But you know what I'm talking about. I'm kind of being funny and kind of being silly about it, but you know what it is for you. You know what it is and all those different things. When we think about the serious stuff, right? I want people to see me and say, man, not only does he talk about it, not only does he know about it, but man, he lives it. And I hope and pray that's your prayer too, that people see us, that people see us and they say, you know, those people a pathway, that's a bunch of crazy people. They're going to jump in a wheelbarrow and do whatever it takes for God, for this community and for this world, right? That's the kind of faith that I want. That's the kind of faith that I believe God wants for us. Not just to talk about it, know about it, but put it into action and say, we want people to see that we have Jesus in our lives. We want people to see that we're saved. We want people to experience that grace and mercy that we've all experienced, right? And if you haven't experienced today, we're asking you that you come to an altar today or talk to somebody before you leave and get to know this Jesus that we're talking about because he can save you today. And that's what we want. And so there's a lot of things that get in our way and there's a lot of things that muddy the water. And I want you to get this. And some of you are like, man, Nate, man, your mind sometimes, and I know don't, you don't have to live. Some of you are like, man, I'm glad bless Wendy and, and those kids' hearts, man. Uh, they're, they're, they're special to live with Pastor Nate, you know? Yes, they are. And so, so I think about it. This is how my mind works and how the Lord works on me. And this is how he worked on me in this. And so I hope that it connects, but I thought about this. And man, I'll tell you what, I was telling Pastor Randy, and I think it was JP the other day, I, I, sometimes just, if you put a camera in my office, you're going to see a lot of weird things. But so sometimes I was just like, I practiced my sermon, you know, and I'm in there and I'm like, Lord, I'm just praying. And I was in, in my office and thankfully nobody else was back in, 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 in the building at all back there. And I got excited. The Lord gave me this and I started just walking and people were probably thinking, man, Nate's just walking crazy. Right. But this is where it is. Sorry. I got distracted on that, but this, just get this. Don't miss it. So I brought something that I thought it was interesting. I thought it was this story, and I heard this story a couple weeks ago, and I thought it, it, it resonated, and so I wanted to bring these out, and so I wanted to think this, and these are some boxing gloves here, and I'm definitely not a boxer, but I grew up with three brothers, and we, we fought barefisted, but uh, <laughs> so I got these boxing gloves, and I thought about this, and I thought about this story, and it's a boxing match that happened in 1964, for, so for many of you, that, uh, that was a long time ago, and some of you, we're glad you're here, awesome. So 1964, there was a boxing match that took place between two people, a guy by the name of Sonny Liston and by, and by a guy named Cassius Clay. And some of you may know him now as Muhammad Ali. 
And so there was a boxing match in 1964 and something took place in this. And I thought this was interesting. And I think this is what's happening. And I believe this will connect and see what God uses and does it. So what happens is, is that you'll see in just a minute, I'm going to show you just a clip. There's no sound. There's no sound to it or nothing like that. But you're going to see a clip in a minute and you're going to see Cassius Clay. And you're going to see something's happening to Cassius Clay. And this is what's interesting about what takes place. So go ahead and show this video. I'm going to talk over it. There's no sound to it or anything. So you're going to see Cassius Clay. And you're going to see him in a minute. And something's going to happen. You can see that his eyes, he can't see. You're going to see that something's taking place. And he says, I can't see, I can't see. You're going to see his trainer, whatever his ring person. He's going to come and he's going to wipe his eyes. He's going to kind of help him and see if he can see. And if you would watch the rest of the match, and you can actually go back and watch the rest of the match, you can see something that takes place later. And we're not going to show it all. But he helps wipe his eyes. He's trying to figure out what's going on. There's a lot to this story but besides the clip that you're going to see. So what happens is a little bit later, Cassius Clay saying, I'm done, I'm out. I don't want to go back or anything. And you're going to see a little bit later that his trainer pushes him out to fight Sonny Liston. And so what's interesting is this, is that if you know the story, and some of you may know this, and some of you may have to go look it up, but what happens is, is this, Sonny Liston did something and he told, it, he told his trainer, told his guy and his stuff, he said, juice the gloves. Now, if any of you know, and if you're a boxing professional or anything like that, you may know that, but he said, juice the gloves. And what he did was he put a, he put a thing on the gloves that is illegal in boxing now. And it was kind of like a, a, like a medicine called Munsell or Munsell uh, solution, depending on where you're from and how you say it. And so he put on that solution, uh, the trainer, he said, put it, put the, put that solution on my gloves. I want you to juice the gloves. I want you to juice the gloves. And he juiced the gloves and he tried to blind Cassius Clay. And so what's interesting is, is that he said, I want you to juice the gloves and I want you to do whatever it takes to put on these. And it's obviously you saw in there, it's starting to burn Cassius Clay's eyes. He's done. Actually, what happened is later on, if you see the trainer, actually, because there was people thinking that it was the trainer doing it to Cassius Clay and he actually put it on his eyes. His eyes were burning as well. It's a crazy story and everything that took place and some of you go and check on it. And you're saying, Nate, what does that have to do with anything that's going on or anything that you're talking about? Here's what I want to say is this. That the enemy has juiced the gloves. The enemy has tried to blind us to stop fighting, to stop living out our faith. The enemy has tried to juice the gloves. And what God's saying to us, like that trainer, get out there and keep fighting. Get out there and keep showing your faith. Don't give up. Don't quit. You'll see later on, it's one of the biggest fights. Cassius Clay takes down Sonny Liston because he didn't stop and didn't fight. But he had people in his corner saying, keep going, keep fighting, live out your faith. But what happens is, is this, right? What happens is, is this, we are known more for what we're against than what we're for. We're fighting each other most of the time, right? We're against each other. The world wants the Christians to fight each other. When what we're saying is, is this, God's saying, quit, stop doing that. Go out and fight the real fight, fight the enemy. Do the faith that I've called you to do. I want you to step out in faith and I want you to do it. But what happens is the enemy has juiced the gloves and called a, and it has, it's caused us not to see. It's caused us not to see. And so what we have to do today, church, is this. We got to wipe our eyes. We got to wipe our eyes and say, I'm done just knowing about Jesus. I'm done just to say I know about Jesus. I want to get out there and I want to get back in it. And I want to see what God has for me. Right? Amen. So don't miss out on this. You're saying, Nate, would you please take those gloves off? I'm kind of liking this now. But I want you to get this right. Don't miss the opportunity to say, I'm going to get the gloves on. I'm going to jump in the wheelbarrow and I'm going to say, God, would you allow me to be the one to show the world about this faith? 
That's what we want. That's what we want. You're saying, Nate, man, how in the world did you ever get that story to go with that? That's just how I think, I guess, sometimes the Lord gave it to me. But I'm telling you all, I'm telling you, the enemy has juiced the gloves. And he wants you to keep sitting and being comfortable. Because listen, man, I tell you right now, I'd love to have the AC up a little bit more right now because I'm sweating like crazy, right? He likes for us to sit and get comfortable. And if I can get them comfortable, then I know they're just going to stay in the corner and not go back out and fight. The enemy's juiced the gloves. The enemy's juiced the gloves. And he's pushing us out, saying, you got it. You can do it. Don't just say you know it. Don't just talk the game. Get out and do it. So I'm going to take these off now. And I thought about this as the Lord convicted me. And as I sit in my office, and the Lord convicted me, and I said, am I showing that kind of faith even in my home? And I thought about this as my son just turned 13, hard to believe that. My daughter's about to turn 10. And obviously they see life differently than it used to be, right? And I thought about this and I said, am I, am I showing that kind of faith in my own home? And I thought about this and I was like, Lord, I want to show that faith in my home and I want to jump in the wheelbarrow. I want to get the gloves on and I want to go. And I thought about it and I thought about, it's hard to believe, Wendy and I and the kids, we'll be here six years, which is hard to believe that we've been here six years. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, mom. And um, some of you are like, six years? That feels like an eternity, Nate. <laughs> And I thought about, we were living in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, it's the closest we'd ever lived to our family and ministry and, and life. It's the closest our kids had ever lived to their grandparents. And it was still, it was still a couple hours, but better than 18 hours. And I thought to myself, I'm thankful for my wife and my kids who are here and said, we're going to willingly jump in the wheelbarrow and we're going to step out on faith and we're going to move to Vero Beach. And I'm thankful that they took that journey with me, that we were saying we're willing to step in the wheelbarrow, we're willing to put the gloves on because I'm going to be as real and as honest as I can with you. Because the first year that we were here, I can honestly say, it's probably the hardest year of my adult life. But it was more than just talking about it. It was more than just saying to my wife and kids, let me just tell you about it. What if we jumped in a wheelbarrow and we just helped show you? And so I don't know what God's calling you. 
I don't know what he's telling you. You're saying, Nate, why do you share a story? I just share it because, listen, man, we, we live this. We're living this every day, but we live this. I don't know what he's saying to you to step out on faith. I don't know what he's trying to show you. I don't know what he's saying. Like, what is it that you would step out and show others that you truly do have this faith that God's called you? We talked about a lot. We talked about the verbal faith, the intellectual faith, and the saving faith. And I gave you a lot of different things. But what I'm asking you is this. If the enemies tried to juice the gloves and tried to blind you from what it is that God's trying to show you, all I'm saying is, is this. Would you be willing to clear your eyes a little bit? Would you be willing to jump in the well barrel? Would you be willing to say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what the end looks like, but I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. One of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite quotes, spent a lot of years in Atlanta, Georgia, working with the homeless in Atlanta, spent a lot of years there. I actually thought the Lord was going to call us there a long time ago. Many people don't know that thought the Lord was going to call us there, worked with the organization there. But every year and we take our groups and we'd go to the Martin Luther King Museum and everything there. And I remember the, one of the greatest quotes on the, the, on the wall and it stuck with me. This has, been like, this has been like 15, 20 years ago. And Martin Luther King quote said, faith is taking the first step when you don't see the rest of the staircase. And I've thought about that. What is it, what is it for you today that maybe you just need to take the first step? You don't know what the rest of the staircase looks like. You don't understand it. You don't get it. But we'll just take the first step. So here's some next step questions. The worship team is going to come out. And then I'm going to wrap up something at the end. It says this. Do you need to find faith in Jesus Christ today? Is that something you need to do? If you're here today and you don't know why you showed up. You're like, man, it was storming earlier. I thought I was going to get to stay home. But you got here somehow. You came here somehow. And maybe today you start a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have people that will pray with you. Are you willing to get into the wheelbarrow today? Is your faith the type that will cause you to act? Is your faith evident in your life? What's causing you to have blurry faith? What's causing you to be blinded? Has someone juiced the gloves in your life and it's caused you to maybe just stay in fear? It's caused you to just stay in anxiety? It's caused you not to see and find peace in the Lord and to jump in the wheelbarrow and say, I don't know where you're taking me, but I'm willing to take it. And so what happens is, is James wraps up this whole section up in verse 26 by saying this, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. There are three kinds of faith. Which one are you today? Church, this is my question before we go into this song. This song's called Sea of Victory. And this song's like a battle song. I love songs like this that just, you know, just kind of gets you like through the day. And it's like, this is it, right? This is my song. This is what I'm going to do. This is what the Lord's going to have for me. I don't know what the step is. I don't know what you got to do to get in a wheelbarrow. I don't know what you got to do to clear your eyes and say, I don't want to have blurry faith anymore because someone's juiced the gloves. I want to clean and say, Lord, if you need to push me back out, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to do what you've called me to do. I'm ready to take action. And so if that's you today and whatever that looks like, we're asking you to take a step. Take a step, come and pray, allow us to pray with you. And like I said, if you don't know Jesus, let us know a little bit of, let us know. We wanna help you, we wanna walk with you. We want to take the journey with you. We wanna show and share more. Did you see what I said? We wanna show and share more. We wanna show you the journey. And so I'm gonna pray for you. And after that, we're just gonna leave it open. We're gonna sing this song together. And we'll all be going back home. But what if because of God's word, nothing else, we left this place different and changed because of his word?
So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for my friends and my family here today. I'm grateful. Can't imagine saying no and not stepping in that wheelbarrow six years ago and not to be here with these wonderful people. So grateful. It's not been easy. Never will. But Lord, we want to show by our obedience, not because of what we say or what we know. And so Lord, I know there's many of my friends and family that are here that have done many things to step out on faith. But what's the next thing you have for them? But then there's some here, Lord, that the enemy has juiced the gloves in their life. They got them so scared they want to quit. They want to give up. They can't see clearly. Lord, will you allow them to take the step today to say, I want to take that step of faith. I want to see what you have for me. And I want to see victory today. And so, Lord, may we feel your presence in this place and during this song and that we will experience that victory today. And you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are grateful and we are thankful. In Jesus' name.